O God of grace and glory, thank you for inviting us to eat at your table. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Before I get into the sermon, just a word on the mask. I am still going to wear a mask. It's been 12 days since I tested positive for COVID, and I am symptom-free, but still have not had a negative test. So out of caution, I'll keep the mask on for the sermon and the rest of the liturgy as well. Ambition used to be a vice. Shakespeare wrote of the canker of ambitious thoughts. And for most of history, ambition was seen as perhaps the greatest vice. There was a saying, fling away ambition. By that sin, the angels fell. St. Augustine wrote of ambition as a pernicious sin, saying that ambition is the primary obstacle in the way of Christian faithfulness. But today, we tell people to reach for the stars and that you can do anything that you set your mind to, which is an absolute lie. We speak of ambition not as a vice, but a virtue, as up-and-coming people are described as ambitious. Just this past week, Meghan Markle debuted a podcast, and the first episode is called The Misconception of Ambition. She says that she had always thought ambition was a good thing until she met the royal family and was chided for it. But Markle picked up that lesson that we teach in our society, that you deserve the best. And the only thing that holds you back is how bold and ambitious you are. Humility, likewise, has seen a change in value. Humility had been prized as a character trait. But with the rise of ambition, humility has been squeezed out. Now, yes, we do tend to still use the word humble in a positive sense, but we also sort of look down on those we call humble. Well, perhaps they lack self-confidence. Why are they holding themselves back? If they would just pursue their dreams, think of what they might accomplish. When it comes to ambition and humility, we have come a long way from Jesus' words. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, people watching is nothing new. Luke records that as Jesus went to someone's house for dinner, everyone was keeping an eye on him. And likewise, Jesus was noticing how everyone at the banquet was choosing the best and most prominent seats for themselves. It's a game we still play, isn't it? You know, I really enjoy going to events at the waterworks, the chili cook-off and oyster roast. You walk into the trolley barn and there's lots of tables, but no one sits down right ahead. You first scan the room. You see who's there. Then you get something to drink and then you pick what you think will be the best table. You know, close to the food, but far away from the music. You put a jacket or a napkin over the chairs that you want to mark them as yours. And then, you start the conversations. So to all of us who know how to scan the room and pick a good seat, Jesus offers us a parable. 
If you pick a really good spot for yourself, perhaps better than you deserve, someone might come up to you and say, I'm sorry, but this seat is reserved for our diamond level sponsors. And how awkward that would be. But imagine that you're sitting at some other seat and someone comes up to you and says, excuse me, we, we saved a spot for you at the head table. Please come join me. Well, everyone loves an upgrade. So just imagine how great that would be. Now, clearly, Jesus is not offering us a simple lesson on manners or etiquette or practical advice on how to act in a social event. And he makes this clear when he adds, all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is about something much bigger than where we sit at a social event. What though does humility even mean? What Jesus speaks of is not modesty. It is not an aw shucks attitude, nor is humility just some hack that we can use to get whatever we want. Humility is not a trick where you just start low so there's room to go up when people feel bad for you and see how low you are. No, that would be called manipulation, not humility. The word humility comes from the Latin word humus, which means dirt or ground. It's where the word human comes from. We are dirt creatures made from the earth and to the earth shall we return. Humility is about lowliness, groundedness, being authentic to how God made us. Humility is not thinking poorly of ourselves. It is thinking correctly of ourselves, that we are creatures made from and for love by God. It is when we forget these truths that sin and vice set in. When we think of ourselves not as the creature, but as the master when we think that we are more important than the earth from which we are made. This is the sin that's told in the story of the Tower of Babel. When people tried to build a, build a tower to reach heaven, it meant they were getting too far from the ground, from the task they, that they had been given to tend and to keep the earth. And so we can understand humility to be the opposite of idolatry. Humility is when we accept God for who God is and ourselves for who we are and stop insisting that we know better. Now, humility also happens when we keep our focus on God at the center of all things. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. Humility is thinking of ourselves less. When we put our needs our feelings, our desires at the center of all things and expect the world to work in accordance to our preferences, that's when we get into trouble. As an example, consider St. Peter. Our Lord called him out to the water to meet him and Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on water with his eyes fixed on Jesus. And it was only after he paid attention to other things like the wind and the waves that he was reminded of his fears and the surface tension of water. And then he began to sink. The humble are those who always have God in focus. And of course, the ultimate example of humility is Jesus Christ. In Philippians, there's a hymn of the early church that says, though he was in the form of God, Christ Jesus emptied himself became a slave and was born in human likeness. And being human, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. The cross is the paradigm. As Jesus is disgraced on the cross, he is at the same time exalted as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And being buried in a tomb, he is raised to resurrection life. So when we think about humility, it is with these things in mind. Our identity as creatures of God, a focus on God above all else, and the example of the cross. So what then is ambition? Well, when we speak of someone who is ambulatory, it's the same root word. Ambition is about movement and walking. Humility is about being grounded. Ambition is about never being settled. Ambition is about climbing the ladder, trying to get further, faster, and bigger. Now, I realize that me taking the position that ambition is a vice might not be very popular, especially given who I am, a straight, white, American, college-educated, employed male. I am exactly who all of the systems were designed for. And so I understand when someone like me says, well, we should just be content with how things are, that can sound troubling. But to be clear, that is not what I am saying, nor do I mean to imply that humility is about accepting the unacceptable. Addressing wrongs is called justice, not ambition. Demanding our God-given dignity is not the same thing as being ambitious. What makes ambition a vice is that it knows no limits. Ambition does not know the word enough. And this is where ambition gets dangerous. Often, when we call a young entrepreneur ambitious, we're trying to say that they are driven and have passion. But ambition covers over all those evils that go along for the ride. Yes, ambition can lead to success, but at what cost? How many family dinners are missed out in the name of a promotion? How many coworkers get climbed over on the way to the top? How many people are exploited and used as tools on the way up? For most Silicon Valley success stories, there are also untold numbers of underpaid interns, overseas human rights violations, or warehouse workers being abused. I've seen it happen before. I'm sure some of you have as well. Ambition destroys churches when clergy use a congregation as a stepping stone to something bigger and supposedly better. Humility is about keeping our focus on God. But if our focus is always on what's the next step for me, well, then it's impossible to keep our eye on God at the same time, which means that ambition and idolatry go hand in hand. This message from Jesus that those with ambition, that those who try to exalt themselves will be brought low, is a hard one for us to hear. If we do, as Jesus says, we will have to act against our own self-interest, something that we have not been conditioned to do. And of course, the paradox of humility is that it is impossible to try to make yourself more humble. If we try to make ourselves humble, then we're focusing on ourselves. And that means we can never achieve humility. Humility is not something to pursue, accomplish, measure, or achieve. 
Instead, humility is a byproduct that comes from nearness to and trust in God. Proximity to God is what allows us to be humble and also forgiving, generous, and peaceful. And this is where the exaltation, the lifting up comes. Not because we earn it or deserve it, but when we are close to God, we are drawn to where God is. When we are closer to God, we can more easily hear the gracious and loving words that are spoken to us. Come, have a seat at my table. Have this bread, which is my body given for you. Drink this wine, which is my blood shed for you. Jesus makes it clear that exaltation comes only by invitation. And the humble are those who remember and know that it is only by the grace of God that we are ever invited to move up higher. And so maybe we wonder, why does any of this matter? Why should we think about a virtue like humility when it does not get us ahead in this world? And it's not even something that we can cultivate. Because if we're thinking about how humble we are, then we're being pulled away from humility. Well, we should think about this because the way of the cross is the way of life. And the way of the cross is the way of humility. As I've said, another way of saying humble would be just to say close to God. And being closer to God is certainly something our souls long for. It was St. Teresa of Avila who wrote, whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. And when we can understand that, a lot of other things will fall into place. The only way to learn humility is by being close to God and having the example of Christ crucified. I'll close with a story of what humility and exaltation can look like in human terms, trusting that it is even more glorious when it comes to God. Some of you all might remember the story. There was a very high-level English politician in the 1960s named John Profumo. He was serving as the Secretary of State for War, quite an exalted office. Well, as happens often with people who have too much ambition, he crossed some lines and had an affair. And the 19-year-old woman who the 46-year-old Profumo had relations with had other relations as well. One with a Russian spy. And so as the news of this scandal broke, it was a tabloid sensation and Profumo was brought lower than low. He was painted as an adulterer, a liar, and a fool for having gotten tied up in a situation involving state secrets and Russian espionage. He was disgraced, rejected, and his name became a euphemism for those who had blown their chances. Perfumo disappeared. He did not try to win back the public's trust. He did not start some new venture. He did not try to get back to the top. He had been humbled, and that's where he stayed. He went to one of the poorest and most run-down parts of London and did social work, and not desk job social work, but the hard labor of visiting people in asylums, cleaning toilets, and doing the jobs that no one else wanted to do. He was not doing these things to serve his time or show his contrition to get one more shot. 
He had lost all of his friends in his fall. He didn't tell anyone where he was or what he was doing. He didn't give interviews. He simply allowed himself to be forgotten and continued doing his work, which he did for the next 40 years. Well, eventually someone recognized him and word got out about where he was. And in 1995, for Margaret Thatcher's 70th birthday party, he received an invitation. Now, he assumed that he would be trotted out on stage for a few minutes and lauded as an example of public service, and then quickly would be forgotten again. He arrived at the party, figuring that one of the seats near the back would be where he would sit. But no, he showed up and he was ushered to the front of the banquet hall, given the seat next to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, the seat of greatest honor. Now, he had not been playing the long game for 40 years and feigning humility for this moment. Now, a funny thing happens to us when we fall off the ladder of ambition and hit rock bottom. We come face to face with Jesus, who for us and for our salvation came down to us and is found in the lowest of places. And when we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, just as sure as we will see him rise on the third day, we will find that he brings us along with him.